The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being here, and thank you for having your intention here today. And whether you are hearing this live in real time or uh, at another time, we appreciate that you share these messages. Because of you, we are one of the most noted online uh, radio shows in the world. And we are just so grateful to you. And it's really our our guests that uh, bring a, a vibration and a learning and a teaching because we are always promoting, uh-huh, imagine the name of our show, <laughs> Intentional Spirits. And so we are blessed to have some of the best out there uh, in the universe that are knowing that the world is a better place because they existed or more so better said because their teaching existed and what they stand for. So none other is different today as we have Master Lama and it's Master Lama. I didn't ask him about this, but I'm going to give it a go. Razaji. Did I do it right, yeah. Master Lama? Yes. Yes, you did. <laughs> Razaji. That's correct. Prasaji. That's okay. Good. Well, anyway, Master Lama, I'm so glad that you're here. Is that the best way to refer to you, Master Lama? Oh, it's fine. Just call me Rasaji. It's fine. It's a pleasure and honor to be with you, Reverend. And uh, I'm uh, excited uh, to be with you. I've been around the Unity people uh, off and on for a few decades. So it's it's a pleasure to be on the radio broadcast for the first time. Yeah, it was, it's a pleasure, pleasure for us as well. And um, take us back uh, a while. And by the way, uh, just like Steve um, Lakowski, uh, you have a, a great look, uh, by the way. And um, all of us, you can tune in to his, his website, Rasaji. So it's R-A-S-A-J-I rasaji.com so please tune into that and learn all about him but how did you um how did this path find you or how did you find the path or tell us about your your story yeah it was i was i started off as a very kind of sickly like child and uh when i was young born outside of nashville tennessee that's where you hear the southern twang and uh I was in and out of the hospital with respiratory illness 
off and on for the first two or three years of my life. And then my dad was in the contracting business and he relocated to Northeast Florida where I reside at now. And uh, the dry temperature of Nashville went to a humid temperature and uh, the illness that I had progressed from the respiratory to the kidneys. And little by little, I had kidney problems and went to the doctor for better part, often on kidney specialists, urologists for, I guess, about 18 months. When I got close to my 12th birthday, uh, everything they had tried beforehand with medication and stuff just was not working. And I was in the process of beginning to lose both parts of my right and left kidneys and uh, kind of was dying from uric acid poisoning. And uh, so the surgeon had this concept of where he could take tissue right from the body and create valves that would open and close better in the urethra. So that's what they did. And it was a four and a half hour surgery. And this was 1968. And in those days, uh, they went in the front of the body, whereas today it's most popular for most kidney surgeries, they would go in the back. And uh, so what happened was, is that after they gave me the anesthesia, uh, I had an out-of-the-body experience. And in the out-of-the-body experience, uh, I met what was to be my master llama mentor that I was going to meet five or six years later in physical form in New York. And he kind of gave me an overview. It was kind of a Christmas Carol kind of episode but it was futuristic and he introduced me to several people that I was going to meet in the body years later. And so that altered my experience. I remember coming back and about seven days into rehab, my mom looked at me one day and she says, you know what? I love you, son, but you're just not the same person that went under anesthesia and of course I wasn't. I my my mind had opened up. Uh, I felt like I had, you know, been out probably most of the time. I learned years later, getting in and out of my body for a long time, that just being out five or ten minutes was a big deal. But I was out much longer than that. And actually, the body stopped functioning a couple times. And in that process the master would take my hand and place my hand on the physical body. And I would actually see that physical body sit there, jump on the operating table, just like if someone had cut off a lizard's tail and it kept wagging. So the awareness that happened to me was a huge turning point in my life. Uh, five years later, I was actually in New York, walking around, it was 1975, and the next thing that I knew is I actually was introduced to this master, wasn't aware that he was the same guy until about six months taking class. We would meet every Saturday morning when I wasn't, um, you know, working, and uh, it was about six months into class that we were I was turning around one day and I looked at this individual and I go, oh my God, this is the guy that I saw out of the body in surgery. 
and it just overwhelmed me. I had uh, several visions that happened during that time and uh, began studying with him for about a three-year period. And then one day he came to me and he said, Versace, I got some good news and I got some bad news. And of course, being born the Chinese zodiac sign of the monkey, which is used to adversity, I said, well, go ahead and tell me the bad news first. And he says, the bad news is my visa's running out and I'm going to have to go back to the Lamasiri in Tibet. And he says, the good news is that I would like for you to travel with me and train in the monastery. And so that's what happened. And I ended up about three and a half years in southern Tibet and uh, learned a lot. And, uh, and then, of course, ended up back in New York where I was pursuing a uh, entertainment career. I was a dancer, professional dancer off Broadway at the time. And I continued on until I got a calling one day that was like, okay, you've learned, you've been training for 10 or 12 years. It's time for you to start teaching. And that began to happen in 1983. So that's when I started, you know, instruction. So that's kind of how it all got started. That's a, that's an incredible, it's a beautiful, beautiful, uh, rich story. And I always like to go back to, you know, what is a sacred story? Because often, especially in our current world of celebrity itis and, you know, seeing people and their accomplishments and stuff like that, there's a, there's often a, a forgetting or a disconnect that, oh, they went through some stuff. You know, and that's what I've found with the people like yourself, um, which, by the way, our listening audience, we're talking to one of the 12 Master Lamas in the world, um, Master Lama today. Um, and and that being said, you know, it's there's a story that kind of shapes us, you know, and that's what's so rich. And that's what as intentional spirits, we really want people to understand that the challenge or the health crisis like yourself as a child or with me, alcohol or, you know, whatever, it isn't something that will permanently work against us if we decide that's the case. And out of it, more of us, more energy, more life force. And I was really excited to talk to you because, you know, one of my books is that I wrote is, or that was written through me is uh, when did you die? you know, eight steps to stop dying every day and start waking up. And of course, a few years ago, the publisher said, you know, your title's going to kill the book. I went, well, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? When did you die? And the name of it's going to kill it. (laughs) But I went, but I, you know, I have to have that be the title, Um, you know, whether it goes well or not, because it's important. And I love that you uh, teach longevity, uh, you teach, you know, that we can remain youthful and keep our energy throughout the course of our lives, because I think it's so important. I think it's not taught enough to people of understanding that, you know, problems and challenges grow you. They don't, they don't um, stifle you or unless you let them, you know. And um, anyway, right. I was I was just real, real giddy 
um, to actually read verbiage where you actually teach people about the quality of of aging and rather than getting old and, you know, doing drugs and just the same old, same old. So anyway, hallelujah. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) It's beautiful to be with you and uh, to be able to speak to your audience. And it's, it's been a journey and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting to see our, the original uh, Lama Boganathar, who was a born a Brahmin and uh, India, who was a master in three different yoga disciplines, and our system kind of flowed out of these disciplines. And then he went to China and he decided to take his three yoga disciplines and experience them in nature for about five decades. And he decided, you know what? I realize that when it comes to health and longevity, nature had remembered what the human race had forgotten. And he decided to make Mother Nature his teacher for the next five decades. And what he learned was doing yoga or meditating around the different elements had a different energy and not just like we trade oxygen and carbon dioxide with plant life, we can exchange intrinsic energy with the different elements of earth, water, air, and fire. And that's basically what he did. He practiced by the Yancey River for about a decade to understand the flow of energy of the river. Spent about a decade up in the mountains to feel what that was like. Another decade, he went deep within the forest to feel what that was like. And out of that became this art that we learned to use. And about five decades into this, he had a general of the emperor of the Middle Kingdom. At that time, China was divided into three major kingdoms, upper, middle, and lower kingdom. And it was a young emperor that had a narrow muscular challenge, and the herbal Chinese herbal doctors were only giving him about five, ten years to live. And the general approached him, and he said, you know, I can tell that you're a holy man, and I can feel the power and the energy around you. Would you please come to see our emperor? So he did, and... They clean this Brahmin up with his mangled hair and and everything, and uh, you know, a dark body, and uh, you know, he presented himself to the emperor. Now, the emperor, in, in the midst of this training that he was learning, gives the individual the the famous philosopher Lao Tzu is his name, and what a lot of people do not know, including a lot of Chinese people, is that Lao Tzu and Boganathar, an Indian Brahmin, are one in the same being. I I did not know that either. I love Lao Tzu's work. I had no (laughs) idea. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, he he was able to keep the emperor uh, around for two more decades. When he past, it was the first time that Boganathar, being this very advanced master, had really experienced emotional loss. 
and it had a huge impact on him. And he decided, he said, you know, I'm going to go to the Himalayas and where the angels brush the mountains with light. And so on the way out, you know, as we know, he's recorded to do the I Ching. Everybody's been trying to figure that one out for about 3,000 years. <laughs> and then he trucks up through Nepal into southern Tibet in a little village called Darchen. And there was a mountain, a small mountain in Tibet that kind of dwarfed the, the larger mountains. And he called it the king's crown. And it, that mountain kind of sits on, if you can imagine, a king's crown and, and, the, and the points on the side of the crown being the higher mountains. He decided to meditate. And it was said that he meditated for several decades and what happened was, is that he learned inside himself a very incredible power. And that power was that he took all this balance that he had learned from yoga, that he had learned from the elements in China, and he was able to create that balance inside of himself when the balance of nature in the mountains of the Himalayas had totally changed. He was no longer experiencing the four cycles of nature, but now inside his body, he was experiencing those. And he realized that that time that he had taken the spiritual art to a, to a whole different degree. And he says, my goodness, I must train some people and duplicate this effort because the world needs to understand this kind of balance and this kind of spiritual grounding. So that's how the, the Lama series started. That's so beautiful. And um, in your in your many years of, you know, learning and teaching and learning and teaching and teaching and learning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Um, did right. Tibet have the most impact on you as far as space or? Yeah, you know, I guess. It was fun. It's funny. It's um, it's definitely one of five major things that happened to me. I mean, of course, the out of body experience of a twelve year old uh, for almost four hours was huge. Uh, I had that a would trial. Do it. I, I, yeah, that would do it. <laughs> I had, when I met, when I when I when I revealed earlier that you know that I. That when I recognize the day I recognized Bo Yang, the Master Lama, who was my mentor at the time, who today is still living at 131 years old, and who is the head Lama of our order, uh, when I woke up to realize in consciousness that he was the same individual that I met out of a body six to seven years before, well, that particular thing, I was in the middle of going through what Christ refers to as second birth, which you know in the Far East we refer to as the Kundalini experience. And I was well into my Kundalini experience. I had been dealing with the Kundalini for about three or four years, and I got hit with a big surge of it the moment that I recognized it was a trigger. And I remember it was a Saturday morning, and I could feel my legs go rubbery, and I was kind of slipping down. Fortunately, two or three of the students saw it happen, and they caught me. 
And as I laid me on the ground, I was still semi-consciousness, and I could remember them asking, uh, Master Boyan, what is happening to Rasaji? And he says, oh, he's remembering and awakening to who he is and what he came to do. And what happened is I've been having bilocation experiences, a regular happening since the out-of-body experience for the last five or six years. But what I was getting ready to do was to have my first tri-location experience where witnesses were actually involved. So I was partially still there in Soho in Washington Square where I was taking my class. But next thing I know, there's a part of me walking on a beach in St. Simons, Georgia, And I'm walking up to my old Cherokee friend who was a Cherokee healer, a very advanced healer. And he comes up to me and he says, Rasaji, I thought you were in New York. And I said, I thought I was too. And he says, come over here. I was just talking about you. And this was the age, if you remember, Reverend, of the Polaroid camera. And the next thing I know is he's putting his arm around me and they snap a Polaroid picture that he still has hanging up in his bedroom to this day to prove the power of spirit. And here we go. I manifested enough of myself to be hugged and recorded on a Polaroid. And the next thing I know, I'm in Tibet at the Lamasari itself. Never have been there, spirit or physical. There are several Lamas talking to students there and they go, well, who is this? And they say, oh, it's, this is Rasaji. He's coming to visit us soon. He just came over to say hi. And all of this is happening simultaneously, and there's witnesses at all three locations. And then when I finally come to, and, you know, and the, and the Lama is telling me, revealed to me everything filling in the gaps. Well, for about a week, I was just messed up silly. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world am I going to be able to, with my rational mind, examine what I have just experienced? And so there was a part of me that just wanted to run to the hills. There was a part of me that was scared to death. There's another part of me that says, if anybody's going to know how to help me get through it, it's the guy I've been training with for the last six months that was able to get in my dreams when I was young and able to appear to me when I was out of the body nearly dying on an operating table. So my trust for the teacher went to a new level. I came back the next week. Stayed with him two and a half years, and then, of course, then we went to Tibet. And Tibet was big, but on the way, I remember on the end of the first year, I was getting ready to go from teacher to adept, and I had like an initiation to go through. And we're walking up one day from the temple, and he showed me this hut that was attached to a mountain, It was about 1,500 elevation up from where the temple was on on a regular basis. And it looked like a mud hut of what 
kind of like what we would see as uh, a teepee form of American Native American Indian. It was literally a hide from animals. You could tell it had been there for a long time. When we opened up the flap, you could see a sense of an old wood-burning stove that kind of resembles, you know, what we would have saw in America in the 30s and the 40s. But it was all beat up. I mean, it was nothing that nice. And I saw jerkies hanging down, vegetable dried out things. I saw tinctures and herbs. And I saw some wood that was piled up to the side of one of the parts of the teepee or the mud hut. He looks at me and he says, I'm going to go get some wood. And I'm looking at him strangely. And I got a real strange feeling in my belly. And I remember looking over at the wall, and I saw enough wood there for at least, you know, a couple of weeks to light that stove. But I didn't say anything. He says, when I get the wood, I'll be back. Well, I'm a country boy originally. It's hard to take the country out of the boy. And when somebody <laughs> tells me they're going to come back with wood, I figure in a couple hours they're going to be back with wood. He came back with wood 46 days later. Uh, and for 45 days, I was left on a mountaintop, 19 going on 20. My father, when you ask him how to pronounce uh, Tibet, he would say Tibet. He was this <laughs> a beautiful southern man from Nashville. And, uh, and, and remember now, we're talking 79 to 8, 1980, and we're talking no cell phone, no internet, no Wi-Fi. And the first couple of days I started thinking, you know, I'm going to die here on this mountaintop and nobody's going to know where I'm at. My father thinks I'm in Tibet and my mom <laughs> can't pronounce India. You know, what am I going to do? Well, about 10 days into this, doing Tai Chi a couple hours a day, yoga an hour or more a day, meditating at least two or three hours a day, and probably eating a meal a day. And most of the time, that consists of chewing on some herbal root or making a soup on the wood-burning stove. You know, and obviously I was dropping weight, and I was lean to start with. About 10, 12 days into this, I realized that death was not the number one fear because I realized between me being left on a mountaintop, my body stopping in 1968, I realized I was no longer scared to death. I had been out of my body enough to know what the other side was. I had seen people on the other side. I wasn't scared to death, but about 15 to 16 days into it, I got this gnawing realization that the real fear, that the ultimate fear for the human being was to literally live a fearlessness life and it embrace the abundance of life that Christ was talking about. That's and right. I, knew I, that. I don't want to uh, end this beautiful yeah. flow, but we're going to take a short break. And I want to remind everybody to go to... Uh, Rasaji's uh, website, R-A-S-A-J-I.com, and you can get a Circle of Life free ebook today and stay in touch and stay in tune with this uh, incredible human. Discover the power within. 
Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you so much for being with us today, me and Rasaji, one of the 12 uh, Master Lamas in the world, and just a a bright light and an energetic spirit. It's so wonderful to have the opportunity to talk to somebody that promotes energy that actually has a whole lot of it. It's very reassuring. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, I want to thank all of you for staying in touch with me at templehays.com or our Institute for Indigenous and Mystery School Learning, which is illy.org. I'm very grateful for all of you out there and the way you share our show and continue to uh, connect us with, with great, with great spirits. And I would say, uh, Rasaji, what I, what I love about um, the intention of this show with intentional spirits is that for the most part, all of our guests that are on are, we're fortunate because they're full of spirit rather than themselves. And there's a there's right. definitely a, a difference. And you know, I'm sure, sure. You, you understand yes, what I'm talking about. There's a big difference sure. between people that are just unwavering, um, feet on the pavement, uh, ready to do a 45-day challenge or ready to look at how does my physical body resonate with the rest of me or you know, whatever, how am I reflecting nature? Um, but there's a wellspring of, of being full of spirit versus being full of oneself. So it's, it's a pleasure yeah. to connect with you and, and feel your, your essence and your presence and, and, and celebrating also that, that you're bringing in this mystery teaching that's three, over 3,000 years old. And I, I, I feel and have sensed for quite some time that that's what's happening right now as all the evolution of all of this indigenous teaching and the shamans and things like that. I'm not a born shaman, uh, but a trained one. And that's where the next chapter of my life, I'm dedicating my life to the healing energy medicine work. Cause I trained many years for the teacher. Um, and it's like, that's where we're headed. Is that, uh, a sense that you have as well. I want to pick back up on your story about being up there on the on the mountain when your dad thought you were at Tibet. Uh, <laughs> but I, I just wondered your your sense of that. It feels like that's where we have well, been it's, it, well, forced it's, to go it, to. It's, yeah, it's funny you say that because you know the the concept of the great awakening that a lot of people the last 24 months have been talking about uh, puts a smile on a llama's face when we've been waiting for that for 3000 years you know where people have to understand that our order has been around 1300 years before the birth of Christ to give we have seen the Roman Empire rise and fall. We have seen the British Empire rise and fall. We have seen religions started. We have seen religions corrupted. We have seen a lot of things and way it the magi itself that uh, visited Christ was trained in our was part of our order itself, and that's a whole 
different message in itself to understand that not only was the prophecy of the Hebrew out there, but the the Lamasary had its own prophecy about the birth of Christ. And what happened, well, anyhow, I've done several episodes on that, but, uh, uh, you know, be happy to come back on your show one day and maybe fill in the fill in some of the blanks that aren't mentioned in scripture that happened because our order actually knows what happened those whole 14 to 18 years that scripture does not talk about. And uh, that being said, up on the mountaintop on that 46th day when, when Master Bo Yang showed up finally with the firewood, uh, we're walking down the mountain, and he says, "You know." And he used to he used to tease me and call me Little Llama. That was that was a kind of a a pet word that he had for me. And he says, "Little Llama, what's bothering you?" And I said, "Well, I'm going back, you know, and I'm just wondering, you know, how, you know, I'm very young. I know you're going to want me to share." what I've learned in New York and what I'm learning here in Tibet in the next couple of years. And I'm just going to wonder how are, you know, older people going to listen to someone so young. And I'm also looking at the world and the world is so far away from what you're teaching me. And he says, Oh, you still got a little bit of that microwave mentality going on. I thought 45 days of meditation would have, slowed you way down. He says, you want to kind of know how to get there fast. He says, I'm going to tell you something. And over the next several decades, you're going to be contemplating this at the wildest of times. But he said, look what the world is doing and do the opposite. And I thought about it and and that hit me so hard, Reverend, especially the last 24 months. I thought, I said, he went on to say, he says, when people have not woken up yet, or they're getting ready to wake up, the unconscious, the more unconscious they are, the greater the contrast is needed in order for them to wake up. Because most people are still looking externally outside of themselves. And now, little llama, you know that Tai Chi Gong is an inside game. It's an inside game. It's it's you exploring within yourself where you realize that everything in creation is all within you and that you're connected to all that is. And as you begin to do that, I remember after I came down the mountain, I stayed about two more years in Tibet. I came home. It's been about a good six months with my family to kind of renew and rekindle that flame deciding what I was going to do. And then all of a sudden, my old agent in New York calls me up and says they had a role for me in New York. I go back to New York. I was the first Caucasian to actually teach Tai Chi in Chinatown in New York, which was quite an experience. And then I started going the entertainment route. And then all of a sudden, I get this wire, Western Union wire, And my teacher used to say, when I asked him about meditation, I said, how how do I know, Master Boyang, when I've reached a real deep level of meditation? He said, until you can hear 
the flow of the blood of your heart, he says, that's about intermediate level. And I thought, wow. Well, I remember that happened to me on about the 30th day on top of the mountain in the 45-day retreat. But he sends me a Western Union, and he says, I want you to go to 42nd Street and Broadway every Friday afternoon from 1 to 3, and I want you to sit down, and I want you, with the people around you, I want you to go into meditation and achieve the same state that you did on the mountaintop when everything was perfect. Everything was conducive to meditation. I want you to turn the world off, retreat from the table of life, and I want you to hear the blood flow. And I remember, oh my gosh, I racked my brain for several weeks and I thought to myself, people have to understand that 42nd and Broadway is one of the busiest intersections in the world on one that people are selling wares from all over the place there. There's so much commotion. I remember it actually took me six months, six months of Fridays. One day I, I went there and I sit down and I was listening to the same noise. Next thing I knew, I had that feeling in my tummy again, and I could feel myself going back into a vortex. And as I pursued the vortex, I could just barely hear people out. And the next thing I started hearing was this beautiful waterfall. And then I could feel, I could tell I was the waterfall and that the waterfall was actually coming out of the chambers of my heart. And I then understood why Boganathar did what he did. And then the next six months went by, and then I got a call from the Lamasiri. And the Boyang says, I want you to go study with a very famous yoga master in India so that you can know the roots from where our art comes from. Because if you know those three roots, you can do it. So being a dancer, I was excited about having the chance to go to India and learn Hindi dance and uh, learn a couple musical instruments. I got a chance to live with this Ayurveda ma uh, master and begin to learn some Sanskrit. I was excited about that. And little by little, I learned the roots of my journey and the journey of Tai Chi Gong. And I spent about four years there, but it was segments of about eight or nine months at a time. And then I would come back to America for a little while. And the last time I went to India was like 1989 to 1990. And uh, that's where I learned the roots. So it's been an amazing journey, but those four or five things would definitely, I said, you know, that they were responsible for the pathway that, that, that I was led to go on. <laughs> what a journey. And, and, and do you at times feel like, um, I know I feel this way. I, I just feel like I've just started, like things are really coming <laughs> together now and making more sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like last year, you know, I was thinking, you know, I might be, I might be starting to figure a little bit of this out, you know, 
And uh-huh. I think after 52 years of trading, I, I kind of realized why longevity was important. You know, I, I didn't cover this, and I think this is crucial to the teachings. You know, one of the reasons that Boganath are set on this journey to China was he was looking around at all these city yoga masters who were deep in meditation and they were getting out of their body all the time, but they were really not caring for their physical body. And that really bothered him. He was obviously a progressive soul. And he looked at them. He said, you know, if God is God, then God's just as much here in the third dimension as he is in the fourth and the fifth dimension, or he's not God. And he said, you know, I want to know the God of this dimension too. I want to know what that is like. And so when he did get to China and he did begin to realize that mother nature was teaching him, he realized that health and longevity to support a spiritual life was prerequisite. He could not for the life of him understand why would someone pursue spiritual teachings without wanting to spiritualize their physical body also. So a lot of times I'll, people will say, well, Lama, when do people find you? You know, the old saying that when, you know, the student's ready, the master appears. And I said, you know, usually about the time they're no longer just ready to spiritualize their mind but they're, they're wanting to take it to the level where they want to spiritualize their body also. And that they realize when Master Rabbi Jesus is how we refer to Jesus in the Lamasary, when, when he was talking about the temple, well, in ancient India, they have this practice called the Chanda, where you draw three yellow stripes across the forehead And then you put a magenta dot in the root of your nose to signify the spiritual eye or to signify the soul. And it's spirit, mind, and body are one. And that we must spiritualize all three levels of the temple of us in order to honor what we refer to as the sharat or the soul. And that it's not as much about getting out of the body as it is bringing more of the soul into the body and the functions of the soul take on the body. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, going from electricity of 110 to like commercial grade, like 220. And what's happening to people today is that there are emissions of light and energy that are bombarding the earth that have never been doing it to this intensity. And we're in this ascending mold, and you're having people become sometimes instantly enlightened, but you're also having people in their 20s uh, dying of strokes and massive heart attacks because how we're embracing this increase in energy and emission of light is differently. And that's why being grounded and balanced in energy, I think, I think Tai Chi Gong was created 3,000 years ago for actually today. I think they knew this was going to happen, and they were preparing, you know, the teachers to get ready 
and you know and that's what you know we're trying to do and that's at the that's at the root of my mission now it's really beautiful it's really amazing and i want to encourage people to really go to your website circle of life i love that um rasaji.com r-a-s-a-j-i.com um, and to find out more also about 5G and, and your teachings around 5G and EMF radiation, uh, that's a powerful conversation right there. It sure is, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and one so, that... Um, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I know yeah, it, it really, really, it really is. We've hooked up with a, a gentleman... Uh, Steve Lenkowski, and I called him genius, Steve. Uh, he was born to be an engineer, and as he began to understand what was happening in the 5G and 4G, he was uh, uh, worked for Texas Instruments, actually helped bring them to Wall Street. And as the cell phone and thing evolved, he began to notice that the effects of what this was going to do. So he got with some other engineers and they began to design products that uh, actually block the rays coming from our cell phones and from our computers uh, that are actually penetrating the skin and going into the lymph node system, into the blood system. And uh, he, one of the one of the most powerful things that he has created is this bracelet that um, has it's been programmed with 300 different frequency in the bracelet because I'm so sensitive of energy. About six or eight months ago, he approached me, and I can feel the moment anything enters my energy body. Uh, I can feel a change in energy from a human being or anything that has to do with energy. And so just as they walked over with me with the bracelet, I could feel an alteration in my field from the bracelet itself. So it goes in the body basically to keep things in a layman's term. It accelerates all the good vibrations moving in and out of the body and it expels the negative vibrations coming into the body and it actually even begins to do that in the energy field around the body whether you call it the auritic field or we refer to it a lot as the energy body that supports the physical body this body is important because health and longevity are rooted in this body you either like you said before Reverend, you either have energy or you don't. And when, when people are healthy, that energy expands from the sternum in all directions about six to seven feet. When people are sick, that energy body starts to contract. And of course, the body is feeding the chakras, the body is feeding the nadas, which is a Sanskrit word for spokes that are in the chakras of which we have over 72,000 of those when we were born about half of these spokes are turned in and half of them are turned out when puberty happens 
more of these spokes begin to turn out, which in course impacts the endocrine gland system, which is when you really examine the endocrine gland system, it's like the physical component of the chakra system in the energy body. But we are supposed to have what Master Rabbi Jesus referred to as second birth. So we are born of the water of our mother, born of the fire of our father. And when that happens, when we go through second birth, everything is happening. So what's happening with these energy emissions, people are having kundalini experiences without even knowing what kundalini is. And Tai Chi Gong was designed to make it easier for people to go through second birth because the three yogas that are at the root of our system, Hatha Yoga, stretching and conditioning, Kundalini uh, Yoga, or, and also what we call Pranayama Yoga, learning to breathe energy. So the system was designed so that when people are in any stages of going through the kundalini transformation that Christ referred to as second birth, it's a more pleasurable, more balanced experience. And the exercises are really designed to help get them on the other side of that and to cool and to to center that energy down. And it's just amazing because I'm, Every almost every day goes by. I run into somebody, and of course I'm able to see their energy body, and I can tell the people that are being hit with this energy, and they're already going through second birth. They go to the average Western doctor, who, and most times, unless they're involved in integrative medicine, unless they have a background in like Chinese herb or Ayurveda medicine or acupuncture. Most Western doctors don't have a clue what these people are going through, and that's what's impacting a lot of people today that are showing up to different medical facilities. Wow. I've said that a lot listening to you today. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) Front and back, it's the same word. There you go. You know, well, as you're talking, it, it reminds me yeah, of a beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I miss what you said. Can you say that again? No, I said I've loved uh, being with you today, Reverend. I've had a really good time. You're just such a beautiful soul. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad I live long enough to realize that uh, joy is the inclusion of grief, not the absence of. And um, there you, you go. Know, people ask me that a lot. I, I saw you and you just, you know, you just have so much joy. And it's like when you recognize that that both of those strong emotions coexist very beautifully, um, your your laugh gets deeper and, and your tears get bigger. And it, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and and being uh, this human being on this experience is pretty exciting. And I, I just love like you, I, I love learning all the time. And um, I, I was, uh, I had a cruise group uh, going uh, pre COVID when we just thought nothing of everybody rushing to cruises. And um, we, there was a naturopath there that told the story about a man that lived in New York and he was very sick and he kept going to different doctors and specialists and back and forth. And, 
finally, he was fortunate to run into a thinking out of the box, uh, more circle mentality individual who said, ask him, when was the last time that you've been outside? And he couldn't remember. And he said that he wow. lived on, you know, a certain floor in New York and that there was this connecting bridge and that he walked over or whatever. And that was his office and that was his life. And he said, um, wow. you go and you spend six months and you hug trees and put your bare feet yeah. on grass and come yeah. back. And the uh, individual was totally healed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nature will do that. That's true. Right. I mean, I just, um, yeah. And uh, to, to deepen that connection for, for all, you know, in, in that process is, um, it's just so neat. It's funny that so you nice. say that we, one of the two most common things we see after people begin the 45 day challenge is they know without a doubt that the birth of Tai Chi Gun came from nature based on what you're saying, Reverend. But they also notice this. When they can't be in nature, they know the exercises are bringing nature into their household. Mm. And the impact that the practice has, that it not only starts to balance, you know, the energy flowing in and out of your spirit, mind, and body, but it also starts to benefit people in your household even before they even start practicing. And that's a real, real powerful thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I um, I really would like to move forward in 2022. If you would have your agent, you know, contact us. Let's, let's do that next sure. show. That that oh, sounded, absolutely. you know, really beautiful. And I, too, I, I really, I get uh, goosebumps. I really resonate with your energy a lot. And, um, and Jeff, our Appreciate station that. manager, will say that I don't say that to every guest for sure. <laughs> Not that I'm all that. It's just that I, I, you know, some people, you just, you just resonate more with others. And it's been a pleasure to have sure. you. And have a wonderful season in whatever way that you honor you it. And um, thank right. you for blessing us today. Um, blessings, um, Master Lama. Thank and you. God bless thank you to you and your family. Have a wonderful Christmas. Take care. Yeah, you too, my dear. Bless you and all the people who live in Tibet. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.